Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. And I have with me Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos and John Dolan. And we're going to talk about Rolling Stone's new 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. Perhaps you've heard we have this list. There's been a bit of controversy. We're going to address that controversy. We're not afraid of the controversy. We're going to dive right in. We're going to wade in that controversy. And first of all, let's hear Carson Daly. Carson Daly was mad. Let's hear what Carson Daly had to say about this list. No Led Zeppelin, no Elvis, no Clue in the top 100. Yeah, I mean, whatever, man. (laughs) I don't know what to say about that except... First of all, Led Zeppelin is in the top 100. Stairway to Heaven is around number 61. Good song. There was no no stairway rule in this list. We had stairway. I don't know. I, I think people are acting like the entire list is just like TikTok songs from last week, which I think there's a, uh, there's a freak out on that side. And then there's, you know, there's also people who are missing a bunch of, of more recent stuff. You know, it's can't make everyone happy. The, the goal of the list was not to make anyone happy. And just throwing out everything at once, we should mention also that the list, again, Rob and I were trying to uh, impress this upon people and on Twitter. The list is done by a vote. There's a huge voting panel. We tabulate the votes and put it out there. It's, it's not like some hallowed authority. One person at Rolling Stone decided on this. I think people have a lot of misconceptions, but I, I'm glad that people are talking about this. Rob, what do you make of the reaction? <laughs> I feel like I get to ask you this question every, every few months, every, every couple of years, whenever we have a list. Rob, what do you make of the reaction? Well, as, as far as I could tell, people are excited about the list, which is an amazing list. Uh, Aretha Franklin, of course, at number one with Respect, which is just you know a fantastic song that always ranks high every time Rolling Stone does a poll like this. Respect is always in the top 10. But just really fantastic to see that in the top 10. So many uh, to see that at number one. So many great surprises, like the fact that the Beatles song in the top 10 is Strawberry Fields Forever. For me, that was mind blowing. And that's something that I've had a lot of conversations about since the list came out. Watching music fluctuate over time in terms of how people perceive it. So the fact that Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, you know, was in the top 10, which a song that, you know, a few years ago wasn't even considered a top tier Fleetwood Mac song. It was just another song that was overshadowed by bigger songs on their album. It's just kind of a beautiful thing that we're seeing the the music evolve in terms of how people hear it. Yeah, Brittany, what do you make of just the way the world took in this list so far? I mean, to go directly even to um, Carson Daly's reaction, like, if I were him, I would be so thrilled that so many songs that he had a hand in helping make popular and helping make important made the list this time around and have had sort of like a a critical turn in terms of how people look at a song like hey or look at a song you know look at britney spears and look at a lot of these artists that were so so pivotal to that era but yeah i mean you know it's just it's a it's a list stay mad i don't know like people are (laughs) people are gonna react you know songs are very personal and i think you know 
of course the albums list had a huge reaction too but i think a favorite song is is sometimes even more personal than a favorite album like it's a very specific sort of three to you know how long is there like 10 minutes like whatever it's a long song um but like you know it's like a, a pure, it's very you can impress a lot of feelings onto it you can you have a lot of sort of very specific ways that you read the song that it relates to your life to the moments in your life same in a negative way as well so songs tend to be very personal in that way um and so people were very passionate about what was left off the list where things ranked without realizing that they were judging it in the same way that we made our own ballots which is you put the songs that have a personal relationship a lot of the time um mixed with that with the stuff that you really want to see amplified and that you think is deserves like that sort of critical consensus behind it. Um, and I don't think people realize they were they were ranking the songs in the same way that everyone who voted for it did. In short, we would like to invite anyone with complaints about the list to go cry about it. No, I'm just kidding. No, we welcome all feedback and complaints. But people should sit down and make their own ballots. So I'm, I'm so I feel like that's the thing is like I would I, absolutely everyone that had to, I was like, I would genuinely love to see like what that ballot would look like for you because you're going to rank it in the same way that like so many of us did that for, for a list like this. John Dolan, what surprised you about the way the world is reacting to this list, if anything? Well, I think what everyone's kind of saying is just a sense of, you know, you, I think somebody said that it's been looked at 125 million times on rollingstone.com. You're not going to make 125 million people happy. So I think that, you know, it's just, we're, it's the list, I think, which is a little frustrating. I think it does do a really good job of balancing and, and just the way the vote came out is so many constituencies. And, and if you compare it to the, the 2004 list, which was very, very defined by the 50s and 60s and sort of the 70s with, with the 80s and everything after, it's kind of like a little bit of an afterthought. This didn't just throw that out and say, oh, no, now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Britney and it's Britney Spears and it's, um, you know, pop from the last five years or 10 years and stuff like that. It puts it all kind of in context together, and some of the juxtapositions and stuff like that are what makes it fun. Is that it's saying it's all great, and it is because the experience you have listening to Toxic versus the experience you have listening to Like a Rolling Stone, like they're both wonderful songs. And like, unlike the albums list, I think where, like Brittany was just saying, it's like they are moments in time. It's like with an album, you spend that time listening to it. You got 50 minutes, you can go, well, you know, track eight. It kind of gets a little slow towards the end. It's got some weak parts, but. These, a song is transcendent and you love it. And, you know, when you're making this list, you could have had a top, you could have gone to 500, you could have gone to 1,000, and it's really difficult. And so um, the personal aspect makes it fun. Yeah, there is something much harder and much easier about songs, ranking songs, because albums honestly have a clearer canon. And, and people, I think, are confused even about such basic things of, <laughs> is it a list it's not a list of songs, the compositions. If we take it in Grammy terms, uh, there's song of the year and record of the year and record of the year is recording. This is the recording. Song of the year is just the raw composition, which is always a, a dubious distinction anyway. But this list is clearly recordings. It's the, it's the greatest recordings of songs of all time. It's not the, you know, even some songwriters are like, well, where's happy birthday? It's like, no, it's not that kind of list. Like, Basically, no. Like, it's very clear. It's a list. It's a list of recordings. Not enough Bach on here. Yes, We're, we got that. That, that was a you yeah, know right. a, a prominent. Uh, there, there was a there was a complaint of the the famous Puccini. Yeah, Ted Go Joya, the, the the jazz critic, was like, "I'll teach these guys about music." It's like, well, it's all right. Well, I, well, I guess. Also, what was Jason Isbell who said that "Happy Birthday" should have been on the list? Which is funny because "Happy Birthday" is a really crummy song. <laughs> 
It's a terrible song. It's overplayed. I've heard it too many times. Awful birthday song, especially when Ratchet Happy Birthday by Drake exists. Like, why? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But yeah, there's no Pacini on the list. Uh, Let's do the top 20. Let's start with number 20, Dancing on My Own by Robin, which I believe is the most recent song in the entire top 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's it's fascinating. I mean, that's a song that people love, but the fact that people loved it that much uh, really interested me. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to to pop in the last eleven years since that song came out, the the footprint that that song has left behind so quickly is insane. Like the influence it's had on every corner of pop music is pretty extraordinary, and I don't know that there are songs where you can you know like especially like dance pop songs specifically that kind of carry that over so quickly um you kind of see that influence kind of come back and and ebb and flow but dancing in my own has been a constant ever since it came out it was such an instant timeless classic and totally deserve it was very high on my personal list and totally deserves to to be in the top 20. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. John, what can you say about the sort of voting patterns that led to that particular uh, landing? I think that, not to keep going back to the 2004 list, but that was 
the, the voters in that tend to be from the sort of rock and roll generation. And I just think we really wanted this time to get a, a, a group of voters that, you know, was younger and had experienced the last 10 years and, and 15 years, you know, firsthand and really felt strongly about it. We, we wanted to definitely kind of balance all the decades. And that's how you, you have to get the right kind of voters list. And I think we did. And I just think this is exactly true. It's like it's, it, this song is an instant classic that has a long shadow over the rest of the lists. Like a lot of songs, Lord, Taylor, they are influenced by this. Anything worth saying about who, who tended to vote for this? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, you know, some, some younger artists, I mean, I do feel like, you know, if like sort of like if younger, you know, maybe indie rock, indie rocker type people had a had a pop song, it would probably be that. And then, um, you know, yeah, younger critics. I mean, I think this is just a landmark song of of the last 25 years. For sure. And number 19, I mean, I don't know how people could say that like this list is, you know, is thrown out the past when John Lennon's Imagine, which is actually fairly controversial as far as actually being a good song at this point, made made it to number 19. That's about as sort of old school boomer anthem as you can get. I don't even like the song very much. So, uh, you know, and yet there it is. Do we have someone, and we may not, who can make a case, uh, almost a contrarian case, despite the fact that it landed so high, for the continued greatness of, of Imagine by John Lennon? It's okay if we don't. I like the song. I didn't put it on my list, but I do like the song. I don't know. I didn't realize people didn't like it. Oh, yeah. A lot of people hate it now. It's like people are like big mad at it. Yeah. I feel like it's just one of those songs that's sort of that blanket statement of like peace and hopefulness. And I think it's one of those songs that we turn to during kind of catastrophic times. And it's just like one of those. Um, it's like a standard at this point. I mean, it is a standard. And somehow it's not. Maybe it would have ranked higher if people didn't turn to it in March and make it a bunch of celebrities made a video covering it. But who knows? Um but it's definitely, you know, it's a pop standard. I, I like I like Imagine. I didn't realize it was so controversial. I'm not sure it is controversial. It's it's in the top 20 on this list. A lot of people like this song. Um, it's a song that uh, younger people tend to like more than older people. And that's kind of the way this song has always been. This is a song that um, uh, grown folks who pride themselves on, on being worldly kind of like have rolled their eyes at. But this song, like a lot of the... Um, classic rock and roll songs on this list, like Bohemian Rhapsody comes to mind and so does Dreams. It's an old song that is more popular among young people than it is with old people. It's, that's part of the fascination of this list is seeing, you know, the way different audiences hear music that's been around forever. But so the eternal popularity of uh, Imagine with the young is something fascinating and something cool. Yeah, I, I think for so many of the songs on this list is like you want to get the songs and what resonated with the voters are the songs that are kind of like you play that in any room in the world and everyone will, everyone will know every single lyric of that. Like there's no, I've ne like I cannot imagine any person in my life who doesn't even listen to the Beatles not even knowing Imagine. Like, you know, like I feel like every person in my in my life who like may not even be able to name a single Beatles album or any anything else John Lennon did, they would be able to tell you every single lyric of Imagine and every single intonation of like how he sings it. Cause it's just a standard at this point. It, it's it's like it's like happy birthday. Number eighteen is uh, you know, what can you say about Purple Rain by Prince? It's uh pretty killer it's pretty funny that it was him trying to write a song 
that was in the vein of like a Journey or a Bob Seger song. That was literally, if you if you read uh, what what was on his mind, he was trying to figure out why people like those kind of songs and uh, like sort of like big, slow building arena rock anthems. I, I, I do. I've never heard which Bob Seger song he was thinking of. Wasn't he opening for him? And he was kind of like, how come people like this guy? <laughs> He was like, he's like, like he sat down and did the hard research of figuring out like how you would do it. It's kind of funny. Maybe it was like turn the page. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was yeah. we've got tonight. Oh yeah, Ooh, that's like possible. Yeah. Um, and he always does that one live. I love that kind of cross pollination, which you also see all over the list. But you see at number ten with Outcast, Hey Ya. It's them trying to do a version of. You know, specifically, uh, the story goes that they had seen the hives uh, at, at Bowery Ballroom, a show I was also at, and were came away wildly inspired. But anyway, so Prince trying to do this thing, and then writes the greatest slow burner arena anthem of all time. He outdoes the stuff he was inspired by. Much like "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is a much better song than "More Than a Feeling." Sometimes you, your take on the thing is the greatest thing. But I mean, I almost lack words for for Purple Rain. Uh, give us give us some poetry, someone. <laughs> Purple Rain. The history of the song really changed dramatically after he died because that was a song, more than others, it, that was a song people went to, to to grieve and to mourn. And I think we all associate the days after his death, his incredibly shocking and still devastating death. And that is a song that I think we all heard about and, and listened to a lot in the days after his death. Um, Bruce Springsteen, opening his next show the next day, opening his show with Purple Rain. It was, you know, kind of a, a measure of, of how that song sort of spoke to how we were feeling at that time. Everybody loved Prince. But there's just so much room for Prince to sort of display his greatness in that recording. You know, I mean, just that vocal leap he takes in the part, uh, you know, it's like, I know, I know, like that is just one of the greatest moments in the history of recorded music, which we can say because we're literally saying it's one of the 19th. But, but I mean, it's just, it's, you know, and the guitar solo, everything about it is just completely extraordinary. Also, uh, people always try to play guitar like Jimi Hendrix, but like Prince was a genius at knowing how to sing like Jimi Hendrix, which nobody ever tries. But when he says, you know, like, it's time to reach out for something new, that means you too. You know, he's singing that line right to me. He's singing that line right to all of us. Rob, always big on the talking parts of songs. And, 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 and why shouldn't I be? No, absolutely. There, there, aren't, there aren't enough David Lee Roth monologue songs <laughs> in, in this top 500. Where is Everybody Wants Them? Where is Unchained? And it, again, no, I mean, if, if Purple Rain is now the definitive power ballad of all time, that feels about right. You know, it's better than the other ones. It's just, there we go. And number 17 is a song that people love more than they ever did, and they've loved it a lot for many years. But kids love it. Kids, There are a lot of kids who think it should be number one, and we're super mad. I saw a lot of young people being super mad that it was not in the top ten. And it, it's Bohemian Rhapsody by, by Queen. I bet anything that, it, that, you know, if we redid this list in ten years and there was more sort of Gen Z age critics... That Bohemian Rhapsody would shoot up even more. That would probably be in the top five. It is, I mean, I I love that Queen is like having like such a big comeback. And it's so, it's so wild and fun because I mean, Queen was like super, you know, 
it was like nostalgic, but also like there was sort of a still like a big love for for them when I was a kid. So it's amazing that Queen is sort of this mainstay in culture where every generation sort of has this come to Freddie Mercury moment where they become obsessed with him and become obsessed with the band. And uh, that's that warms my heart. So be pissed, Gen Z, on behalf of Queen. Like, I hope that one day they'll they'll bump it up to the top five. Their day will come. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because on the old list, it was like, I think in the 300s somewhere. And it's interesting to see like how certain people's stock has just skyrocketed. And I think I think they're probably number one in terms of skyrocketing stock. Queen is a great example of music that is from the past, you know, like the lead singer is, is gone. You know, Freddie Mercury, he's gone. He's, he's in the past, that sense. And yet more popular now than ever and more popular now with young people than he was with the young people of his era. And we're seeing a lot of that on this list. Stevie Nicks, David Bowie, Joni Mitchell, these are legitimately veteran artists, some of whom have passed away, who are nonetheless more popular now with younger listeners than they've ever been. And Mm -hmm. that's a fascinating thing to see. Yeah. Another example, just looking ahead is, I think would fit that as well as Waterloo Sunset, which ended up very, very high on the list. And it's just that song's taken on a life of its own with people over the generations where was it at the time it was like there it was kind of there they were leaving behind the rock that had made the popular and that he was kind of he was wasn't he afraid to play it for the rest of the band because he thought they would think it was too soft or something and and over time it's just it's now it's, that's so high for a song like that i think and it's it's because it's so beloved yeah and that's that's and you're knocking us out of order but that's okay that's number 14 and i, I did want to ask about that i was i mean that is that is a great song and also one that you know, critics and stuff have, have always thought is one of the greatest songs of all time, but I was somewhat shocked and, and pleased to see it up so high. Who voted for it, John? Was it, was it again, young critics? Or was, like, how did, it, how did it end up so high this time? I think that is one that probably gets a little bit from every group, you know, like it's, it's young, older voters, you know, love it. And it's, it's, it's such a beloved, it's kind of got a, a real big, you know, indie rock kind of following. And, um, it's just over the time, just considered, I think, to be one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And uh, I, I think that was one that obviously it had to get kind of from everybody to get up so high. I mean, 255 people voted in this. And so that's a lot of people and over 4,000 songs got votes. So it's like you have to grab from kind of almost every group to end up at this this high up on the list and to see a song like that, which is kind of delicate and a little maybe a little obscure kind of um, compared to something like Imagine. To be that high is is, is just kind of exciting. I, I Made me really. That was one of my happiest things on the list. I think. Yeah, it's just a pure heartbreaker. Much like number, and again, I'm jumping around, but number eleven, God only knows by the Beach Boys. It's just, it's just a heartstrings tearing song, and 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 there it is. But uh, number sixteen, Crazy in Love, Beyonce featuring Jay Z, and I, I love the fact that it's sort of in musical dialogue with our number one with Aretha Franklin's Respect. Uh, if you listen to them back to back, you can really hear the extent to which the Beyonce song is, is a clear update of that kind of sound, of a Stax volt e kind of sound from the, from the 60s. Even I know Aretha wasn't a Stax Volt, um, but, you know, still. But amazing song. What's, what's worth saying about that, Brittany? I mean, one of, one of the greatest star-making moments in, in pop history. I mean, this is someone who had been performing since she was a teenager. You know, Destiny's Child at a time with girl groups, pop vocal groups were doing well, but I don't think anyone expected 
the staying power of, you know, especially from a more critical standpoint of like the staying power of these vocal groups of the solo artists and be able to break free of that at a time also where, you know, a lot of the artists that were trying to break free from their groups were not, you know, unless you Justin Timberlake did fine, but like most of them were not, we're not doing so hot on the solo turns, but then you have someone like Beyonce, who's so hard to ignore someone who is literally mentioned in outcast. Hey, that's how, beloved and adored she was is that she gets a literal name shout in another song from the top 20 she like made this incredible pop standard you know the song that you played at any any room again like any party like everyone knows every lyric every vocal every vocal thing she does on it every jay-z line like you know every single bit of of this song and has given us one of the most powerful pop performers of all time and someone who absorbs so much uh, so many of the artists that are on this list um she has prince in her blood she has aretha in her blood like she has these artists so clearly influencing and impacting her one of the things i love about a list like this and i don't understand frankly why anyone doesn't love the fact that you go directly from crazy in love to i want to hold your hand the beatles and I would point out that the driving emotion of these two songs is precisely identical. The mood that these songs are, were written out of and trying to evoke is the same mood. And it's so interesting that that's what people want to hear, that that's what people put it near the top of a list like this, because that ecstasy of being in love is an emotion that the pop song is very good at addressing. And, and there it is. I mean, that song is, is pure joy. Yeah, it's simplicity for both of them. Like just simple, simple emotions. It's just love songs, you know? It's great. It's, I mean, like seeing them back to back is really beautiful. And like you said, like it's just kind of having those same driving emotions for two songs from two wildly different moments in time and moments in music um, be on this list right next to each other is, is a really great thing. And I love that the, the two Beatles songs in the top 20, one of them is I Want to Hold Your Hand and one of them is Strawberry Fields Forever, which are opposite extremes of the Beatles sound, but they both have that emotional urgency. That's, you know, a beautiful thing. And we, we talked about the kinks at number 14. Again, right next to each other, uh, British Invasion buds. Uh, <laughs> the Rolling Stones, it's so amazingly corny. The, the Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter at number 13. Was that the highest ranking Stone song as well in 2004? Does anyone recall? No, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was Satisfaction. And that's another interesting thing about this. It's fun to see how certain bands kind of canons have shifted and changed. Like uh, people want the apocalyptic Rolling Stones now. They don't want the angry, angsty. T- oh, that's Satisfaction's high on the list too. But I think considering the times we live in, I guess it reflects the times that, you know, Give Me Shelter would be the Stone song that did so well. It's the Stones song that feels like now, I guess. <laughs> it feels like living, unfortunately, in 2021. Yeah, it's it's a song. I mean, it's interesting to see with these songs, you know, like they're not new, but they speak to the moment more at, at different times. So to me, it's, it's wild that people are feeling very gimme shelter and also feeling very strawberry fields forever. You know, like the Beatles and Stones are always high in lists like this. It's very interesting to see that uh, these are the songs that, struck the most enthusiasm and passion in the voters. It's kind of funny too, you were talking about, you know, these kind of super optimistic love songs in the top 20, but the only love song in the top 10 is a kind of a scorched earth breakup song. 
And after this, and then you get to, I want to hold your hand at 15. It's, it's like the, you know, rock pop music's number one emotion is, is not in the top 10, but except in it's kind of more dark, uh, you know, maybe form. And maybe that's just kind of how people are maybe feeling these days. Let's do number 12, Stevie Wonder's Superstition. John, again, maybe talk about where Stevie's gone in the list and where the, where this song particularly has gone, especially over the... I yeah. think he's stayed kind of... It's funny, his canon in this thing, I think, has stayed pretty much the same, um, as far as I can tell. I think Superstition is kind of maybe higher ground, but I think Superstition has always been the one that that does the best. And it's just just everyone's favorite, you know, funky pop song, I think. It's just people love it so much, and you can watch great performances of it on, you know, live and stuff like that. And I, I think he sort of introduced it when he was touring with the Stones, right? Isn't that, like, he kind of was, like, finding that sound during that tour. And there he is right next to him. And it's just the, this fun, poppy, hard-hitting song that everyone loves. Robert Brittany, want to weigh in on that one? I mean, yeah, I, I love Stevie, and I love the song, and this is one of those songs that kind of carries again through generations another sort of standard um and we're i think that's what so much of this list really captures is that the way that we look at the songs that are those songs that everyone kind of knows the lyrics to everyone really kind of carries through their lives um we're seeing those really defined even more specifically by this list totally and we're seeing for a lot of these artists the songs that did best in this particular list were the the ones that are more tough as opposed to more uh, upbeat. But, you know, like the fact that Gimme Shelter is ahead of Satisfaction, the fact that Superstition is ahead of You Are the Sunshine of My Life, that's, I think, it, it's kind of similar to Gimme Shelter in that way, that it, it, it's, it's a very superstition, superstition fraught time. And, of course, the clavinet on that song is so key to this sort of mo- the 70s modern Stevie Wonder. And, and he, he once said that it was that the clavinet was his electric was his electric guitar and that there would have been no other way to get that sound and it it shows him as a as a as a riff writer as an instrumentalist as just a with this casual mastery of just every element of popular music it's an absolutely monster song he supposedly he was going to give it to Jeff Beck and again here's the the cross pollination and Jeff Beck thought he was given the greatest guitar riff of all time. Barry Gordy uh, very intelligently told Stevie Wonder to uh, hold on to the riff himself. But, I mean, it also is like there's Stevie Wonder being one of the greatest guitarists of all time without even playing guitar. So there we go. Stevie giveth and Stevie taketh away. <laughs> um, and to- there, there, is a, there is a sick Stevie Ray Vaughan version, I have to say, but that's another story. <laughs> Since we were talking about um, Beyonce and how everything connects to Beyonce somehow, I do want to point out that uh, Superstition, number one hit, it set the record for the longest one-word song title ever to hit number one uh, with 12 letters in the word Superstition, held that record for over 30 years, and it was broken by Beyonce, with, who had the first 13-letter word to have a number one hit, number one one-word song title, Irreplaceable. Great song. The cosmic Stevie Beyonce connections, but, Steve, <laughs> but Beyonce has that cosmic connection with everybody. Yeah. Number eleven is the Beach Boys. God only knows. And again, look at all these old songs in the top twenty. Like, come, on, I don't, I don't get the thing that that there's not old music on this list. It's like it seems a willful avoidance of what's in front of you to act like there's there's not a lot of classic 
music on this list. I, I will say, I'm just thinking is, you know, there was something, those of us who grew up in the New York area at a certain point in time knew that there was something called the Firecracker 500, which is the, the local classic rock stations would play. And that was their idea, the 500 greatest songs of all time. And it was like, Bad Company and like Layla would always be number three and Stair would be number one and perhaps they've confused this with the Firecracker 500 uh, and, and be, because there's you know because there's no like I, I maybe it's that they were expecting that um, but the Beach Boys God only knows is that I mean I, I personally might prefer Wouldn't It Be Nice uh, which is a very similar vibe but I you know God only knows is an incredibly beautiful song um, what do we make of this particular song at this particular place at, at num- just just out of the top 10 at number 11. Last time it was behind Good Vibrations. Again, it's that sort of gimme shelter, uh, superstition, Strawberry Fields Forever principle we were talking about. No one's feeling Good Vibrations here in, in 2021. There's, there's, Nobody, excitations are, are at bad. an all-time low. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, excitation's definitely not part of this. <laughs> Last time, you know, like good vibration. Every time, you know, like there's good vibrations is always like the one. It's the Beach Boys magnum opus thing, you know. God only knows. It's it's more. It's 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 more how people are hearing these days. We started counting down from number twenty, and we'll see what we get to. I'm sure we'll return to this list in future episodes. Number ten, we mentioned earlier, is Hey Ya by Outcast. I was a little surprised. I, I think it's a great song. I like so many songs by Outkast. I don't know that I would have expected or picked Hey Ya, uh, particularly by Outkast. There's a couple other Outkast songs I might have I might have picked for the spot, but the more it kind, I kind of sat with it at number ten, it, it kind of makes sense to me. It's and, and in part because what I talked about it, it is the these two hip hop geniuses doing their version of kind of a rock song and it, it crossed so many barriers and it's so indelible and it's a song that everybody knows and I don't know what do we think it's one of the the greatest pop songs of all time like it's literally just like the song that transcends so much of what people expected of outcast what outcast sounded like at the time you know I think there's of course like the fans of Outkast who have a lot of songs that they would rank a lot higher than Hey Ya, but even then, you still love Hey Ya. Like, it's, like, so catchy. It's so much fun. It's um, it's silly. It's irreverent. It's, like, not necessarily trying to give you anything else but fun. Like, there's no other... It's, like, one of those songs where its only purpose is to make you dance, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, there's no sort of weird i mean not that i know like no hidden meaning to hey yeah like i'm not you know there's nothing to like dissect behind beyond you know just like shake it like a polaroid picture like it's just a fun sort of kids love it i think it's one of those songs that still kind of really attracts younger audiences to this day and will continue to um so ahead of its time and the way that was constructed the way it sounds it doesn't sound like it's from a specific year like you could have told me the song was released in the 80s and i would have totally believed you except for the beyonce and lucy lou references but even then i would have been like maybe maybe you know maybe someone saw the future but like it just sounds so timeless in that yeah i mean to that point i mean i was i was listening again to the new lil Nas x album and it's like i was like well if you if you just had 808s and heartbreak and hey ya that could serve as a lot of the template for what he does you know it, it's fascinating and and you're right it is it is super it was super futuristic at the time 
And it predicted so much of what the next 20 years of that fusion of what hip hop and R&B and pop would sound like of sort of that genreless sound that is so catchy and is really meant to make you dance. It's like what all of the internet is, is like all the viral songs sound like they want to be Hey Ya. Hey Ya invented TikTok, essentially. I mean, it, you know. Yeah, I mean, if Hey Ya, and that's the thing, if Hey Ya came out today, it would be just as big as it was when it first came out. There's no content. Every other song, I'd be like, maybe, but like, hey, yeah, there's no, I cannot imagine a version of it coming out today and not completely dominating the charts for the entire year. Number nine, Fleetwood Mac Dreams. And as Rob pointed out, it's one of those songs that has vaulted up in the popular consciousness. It wouldn't even have necessarily been the, the Fleetwood Mac track that you would expect to be so high. Uh, and it's it's really fascinating. What do we think is, I mean, obviously just a great song and, and deserves it, but can we speculate about the kind of forces behind the elevation of this particular song out of the many great, even Stevie-focused uh, Fleetwood Mac songs? We need a full hour for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I th- it's, you know, it's uh, one of the more mystical um, Stevie songs, of course, like it has that sort of witchiness to it, that sort of um, Fleetwood Mac um, 70s kind of, you know, dreaminess to the sound, very California to it. But it also captures a relationship that people have continued to be fascinated with for 40 years, which is Stevie and Lindsay. Like, you know, you can you can put Rhiannon up there and another great song or, you know, things like that. But like, this is a song that's so clearly about this breakup and such a biting diss song at at Lindsay. And it's just also incredibly beautiful and catchy and dreamy in California and that sort of like 70s nostalgia that so many people continue to have of, in terms of the fashion, in terms of like, you know, that sort of like, I don't know, the reimagination of that era that people want to have with like the style of it. And so much of Dreams captures that. And it's, it's just continued to really fascinate people because there's also a great story behind it. And people love that story. The way the Fleetwood Mac story keeps on going, like particularly with, you know, younger audiences who just, they hear what Stevie Nicks is doing better than any previous generation has. It, the same thing with Joni Mitchell or, or David Bowie. Younger listeners, just they hear, they, they're hearing more clearly and more accurately what the artist is saying. And I, Freddie Mercury's in that category too. But it's wild that this song, you know, it was a big hit at the time. It was a, you know, a number one hit, but it wasn't one of the top tier Fleetwood Mac songs and sort of ones that loom large in the public imagination. And the last time Rolling Stone did this poll in 2004, it didn't even make the top 500. And now it's in the top 10. And there's something kind of amazing about that, that there's been this sea change in the way people see this song that's from 1977. And it speaks to kind of what the whole list is about in terms of music is time travel. There really is like a, a Fleetwood Mac song for each generation too. Cause when I was, when, you know, when I was really young, it was like landslide was the, was the big Fleetwood Mac song because everyone was like, you know, there's like Dixie Chicks cover and the Smashing Pumpkins cover. And those were always on the radio, but landslide was like the Fleetwood Mac song that was, that really dominated music and public fascination. And you'll get like, don't stop in the 90s like there is really just like a kind of post peak Fleetwood Mac of being together and post breakup like that's there's always this song that kind of fits a moment in time I would say the song that 
people freaked out about the most, and I enjoyed that, and I enjoy it being where it is, is number eight, uh, Missy Elias, Get Your Freak On. It's interesting because when we did the list of, of best hip-hop songs of all time a few years ago, it didn't rank as high as that. It was like number 34 or something, and that wasn't even that long ago. So it's, it's really interesting and pleasing that it ended up where it did. Uh, John, again, like, what can you say about just sort of your theories about how it happily landed uh, at number eight? I just think, yeah, being kind of a, a, a modern classic of, you know, the same memories you have with kind of Outkast or how it kind of blew everyone's mind, the kind of run that Missy and Timberland went on during this time, and this being the peak of it, was just so innovative and so radical and sort of touched everything else after it a little bit, the way they were combining genres and the kind of futuristic sound and just being so proudly weird and still being as super poppy, I think was a big sort of, you know, just had a lot of influence on what what was possible in music over the next bunch of years. And it's like, it's just nice to see that, you know, you know, kind of like, it's really gratifying to see that honored by all these voters. I think it's worth pointing out that 2001, 2002, 2003 are sort of peak moments for uh, millennial nostalgia, just sort of chronologically. And it is interesting that if you look in the top 20, those years are pretty well represented. So I, I do think there's a generational thing as well. But a lot of times that, that, that can have great results. And I think this is an example of it. Uh, Rob, what do you love about Get Your Freak On? I know you love it. It's just an amazing song. It's so funny because, you know, what we were saying earlier about Fleetwood Mac, that they have so many bangers that you could see so many Missy songs in this slot and you wouldn't be surprised. It could have been Work It. It could have been The Rain. That's the one I voted for. That was in my top 10. Uh, the Rain, Super Duper Fly. But it, it, Missy just has so many just astounding songs. The Missy and Tim combination, nothing like it. Always imitated, never duplicated. And uh, I love that its stature and its mystique has just grown over the years. And let's do one more song, and then we'll leave everyone wanting more for the next time we return to this list, which, which we will. We will return to this list uh, sooner rather than later. But Rob mentioned this earlier, the Beatles' Strawberry Fields Forever at number seven. And what I like about this song landing so high, among many other things, is the fact that it truly is a non-LP single. It existed on its own with Penny Lane on the other side. Uh, but it's not part of a Beatles album. And so I enjoy the places, the many places on this list where it breaks away from our 500 albums list, where it has things that can only be on the songs list. And this is a perfect, perfect example of that. And it's also, if I may say, a really fucking good song. I believe that in the Jeff Emmerich book, John comes in and plays, Jeff Emmerich was, of course, the Beatles' uh, key engineer, and he describes John coming in and playing on acoustic guitar, Strawberry Fields Forever, for the rest of the band. And Paul's like, that's really extraordinary. That's good job, John. <laughs> like, you know, it was it, 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 just this quiet admiration because it, it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty good. <laughs> and, and also the, the whole collaboration involved, you know, like every single Beatle is absolutely like topping themselves on this song. It's easy to ignore Ringo's role in this song, but you know, the song doesn't exist without Ringo. His commentary all through the song is just mind blowing. Yeah. And I've, I've brought this up before in past Beatles conversations, but this is, I believe the impact of across the universe as a film on many, many young 
musicians and writers. This is a very clear, this and I want to hold your hand, two of the most iconic scenes in Across the Universe. I believe it was the impact of that film. You know, that's a theme throughout the whole list too, is kind of like, like, you know, Tiny Dancer or whatever. There's a lot of examples of that actually. It's what people remember from... Yes. Well, could anything, uh, we could talk for an entire episode about this sort of infinite recursiveness of a movie about Rolling Stone uh, featuring Tiny Dancer, uh, then reverberating into Tiny Dancer, moving up into Rolling Stone's list and whether that, you know, there's something so, thank you, Cameron Crowe, there's something so delightful uh, about that. But uh, Brittany, I think you're 100% right. And I think that I didn't even mention it because, you know, we once did a whole episode on it, but the, the, the Bohemian Rhapsody, wait, the Queen movie is called yeah, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody right? is yeah, the film, Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody, the film. In the uh, same way, Wayne's World was the, the yeah. entry yes. point for yeah. me as a Queen fan. Like that was I, like seeing Bohemian I, Rhapsody affected the way that I listened to Bohemian Rhapsody for the rest of my life. Like I have to do the head banging every time you get to that part. <laughs> as far as I know, I first heard that song in Wayne's World. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I just I wasn't I wasn't a I wasn't a huge Queen fan, uh, and I was I was wrong. Um, Dave Marsh told me they were bad, so I avoided them. But uh, yeah, no, I think I first heard it there. So I I'm, I would be the last person to uh, begrudge any generation discovering their songs from from movies, and I, I do think yeah. Or from like you know, Pink Moon's on here, and I I hope Pink Moon's on here because of Nick Drake's, you know, greatness and, and the, how much, how beloved he's become to many generations of people who like Nick Drake, but like probably cause it was in a car commercial, you know, that's kind of probably for a lot of people, like how they encounter. And there's a, there are examples of that throughout the list. And it's, it's not, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a, okay. You know, it's, and that's a beautiful thing. And also those songs elevated those movies too. Like those songs, like, you know, it's as much um, Cameron Crowe putting Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous as Tiny Dancer in Almost Famous makes that scene such a classic. Like, I can't even picture another song having that same effect or hold in that scene. This is our after credit scene, and, and we will return to this list uh, in a, a, a another episode really soon. We're not done talking about the 500 greatest songs of all time. I don't think anyone out there is done talking about it. You're still yelling at each other about it. So, uh, you know, feel free to yell yell at us politely about it on Twitter. And thank you very much to Bernie Spanos and Rob Sheffield and John Dolan. I did want to mention, uh, again, Bernie Spanos has a new podcast with EJ Dixon called Don't Let This Flop This Week in TikTok. And that's available wherever you get your podcast and you should check that out. But... Rolling Stone Music Now, this podcast will be back next week here on SiriusXM's volume, Channel 106. And yes, we are also a podcast. Download us wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. That's always appreciated. As always, thanks for listening, and we will definitely see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.